You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Mackie and Judd, you guys don't even have to try. Show up here, put your feet up, and take calls. Because when you screw up, the boss gets fired. <laughs> what a great world! Wow. Woohoo! Kenny. Someone tranquilized the traffic you guy. Right, okay? Kenny? Someone put a dart in his just, neck just right now. Just be lazy and euthanize the traffic guy. Be slothful and just be unenergetic pigs. And the boss will get fired. You might you might refer to the wolves at some point too with that, depending on what happens. Beard to the lane with a left hand back heel and it through. James Harden is unconscious in the third quarter. James is straight away on away three pointer. Another one. The beard, unbelievable. Ten field goals, four threes, and he's got 31. Giving out left corner. Paul for a C P three. And the Rockets have hit 90. Wow, our Matt Thomas. That's, that's our, guy. our guy. Can you talk a little bit about your sub rotation tonight in terms of in the, in the third quarter, the rotations for subbing? Like, Derrick Rose was out quite early, I feel like, in this game. Do you feel like you had a good handle on your sub rotations? Uh, I don't understand the question. Like the rotation of players that were subbing in and out. Yeah. And that and that Were was the, in the perfect room for that? Yes I was. Who, who was that? Brave I, soul. I don't know, but that was the perfect end for that night. What was yeah. that question? And then he just walked off. First of all, like I agree with like the general premise of questioning everything that happened on the court last night. I agree. I just wasn't sure what she was getting at. I Can think, you just like talk about why you gave up fifty points in the third quarter? I think talk she talk about that. I think she thought Derek Rose m- might have helped, which clearly he wouldn't have helped. Oh, it's but that Derek was, Rose's. It's probably Derek Rose's agent secretary or something. That was the absolute perfect conclusion to a night that, for uh, one half, was fantastic, and then for one quarter, basically ended your season. Dude, my favorite. I know you were in the arena, so you missed out on the amazing broadcast last night on TNT. I uh, sorry, Jim, Pete, and Dave Benz. I was cheating on you last night with TNT, and uh, and we're, we have plenty to dissect from the broadcast, including. Was he saying Reggie Rose, Kevin Harlan, or Reggie, comma, Rose? <laughs> it was a big controversy in the second half. But right. at one point when the Wolves started to fight back a little in the fourth quarter, I mean, the Rockets that had taken a 30-point lead much and scored of a fight 50 back. points in the third quarter. Yeah, yeah I wasn't And Reggie fight. Miller, like three different times in the fourth quarter, starts saying some, you know, some combination of, well, you know, if you take away the third quarter, the Wolves have been pretty good in this game. You know, if you... If you look, just look at the first half and the fourth quarter. If you take away the third quarter, uh, yeah. If you just take away a couple of icebergs, you know the Titanic had a pretty good voyage across the Atlantic. Did he really say that? You can't that? take away Did a fifty-point. Re- re- yes. He really said if you take yes. away the third quarter. I mean, if you eliminate those twelve <laughs> minutes in which the Wolves struggled to stop anybody. In which James Harden... You know, if you take away that one play, the Lincoln family had a great All run right. there in the 1800s. Okay, so I am going to indict myself. This is why Judd Zolgad should hashtag stick to hockey. 
So the first half, the first half, honest to God, I'm watching the Rockets, and they're coming down, and the building, Target Center's go- going nuts. And it was actually very cool. And what's his name? Jimmy uh, Goldstein was there Jimmy Goldstein was right, bo- right below press row there, and the place is going absolutely crazy. <laughs> and so the Rockets keep coming down and jacking up threes, and they're missing. And every time they miss, the building gets louder and louder. And finally, I tweet... The Rockets are like 5 for 24 at this point on threes. I don't understand why they just don't start taking some twos to try oh, and what? get some points to quiet the crowd. That's an absurd tweet, by the well, way. Well, yes, it was. You should because, stick to hockey. Because then, in the third quarter, they couldn't miss. And I was like, and then I started getting tweets back about, hey, your tweet looks really good. I said, you people are You exact- really tweeted that. I said, you people are right. I thought it would be a good idea to maybe quiet the <laughs> no, building a little no. bit. I was wrong. That's, what- I'm indicting myself. No. I'm not defending myself. You know what quiets a building? Scoring 50 <laughs> points in the third quarter yeah, off right. only threes. You're right. How does Tom Thibodeau, who has built his entire coaching acumen Don't. and credibility off of defense, and we've noted how bad they've been defensively in the regular season the last two years, but hey, they stepped up defensively against the Rockets in the series. How must he feel knowing that he's one of only two coaches in NBA playoff history to oversee an opponent scoring 50 points in a quarter? Like, that is never going to leave his resume. Phil, the other one is, I believe, the coach of the 1962 Detroit Pistons. Yes. That's the, the, only the Lakers. Other one. Yeah, the, the Lakers, Lakers did, against right? the Pistons <laughs> in March of 1962. Uh, here's some more sad quotes after the game. Take a look at the film. We'll meet, walk through. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look go at the over film. where we made our mistakes, learn. That's the most important thing the disappointment or the loss, but to learn from it. And it's the first team to four. And so we have to respond. Uh, well, I mean, it's, the, the Rockets are going to get there first, by the way. If that's, yeah. Uh, if, if you, what's, what's the P.J. Flex saying? That there's no losing, there's only learning or something like that? Mm, yeah, I think that's well, right. A lot of learning yeah. in the third quarter. So I think we, you and I do get a lot, because you and I agree that like the Tom Thibodeau thing has been so clunky the last couple of years. And uh, like despite the fact that they just put up their best season in a decade and a half, mm-hmm. a lot of people wondering why you and I have been so hard on Tom Thibodeau and... Like what? Like, you know what? Why not just enjoy the season for what it is? And I think last night was such a perfect illustration of why Tom Thibodeau teams drive me crazy. The Timberwolves show up to the ballpark, so to speak, with a lineup of singles hitters, bunch of guys who shoot long twos and you know get to the free throw line once in a while. And some are more effective and efficient than others. Like Taj Gibson's a very effective scorer. He's one of the best paint players in the NBA, but. You show up to the ballpark, one through nine, with singles hitters. The Rockets show up, and you know what? They're going to strike out. for. They're going to go games where sometimes they strike out 12 times. Yep. But then there's going to be other games where they go back to back to back, and they hit bombs. The Wolves go station to station. It's... Look how much the Wolves grind just to get an 18-foot look above, you know, at the top of the key somewhere. We, we talked about that. And a free throw there. Yes. And then watch the Rockets line up three steps inside the half-court line and just launch bombs on you. If you're the Wolves last night, you spent the first half working your ass off to score. Every possession, and, and you were pretty good. Yes. But every possession, you were grinding it out, and you were getting two points, two points, two, two points. And we, we talked about this before. A team like Houston gets hot, and they come down. Three, three, and now you're down. Well, here's an because I, I I feel like if you were on the fence, like oh, you know they played really well in game three, and I even gave them I, I wanted to leave the window open, like maybe they maybe they found something in game three, and obviously they proved that they didn't once you got to game four. But this is the most amazing stat that crystallizes everything 
about Tom Thibodeau basketball, the gap between teams like the Rockets and the Warriors, even teams like Utah, which you're watching dismantle Oklahoma City right now in the playoffs, and where the Wolves are. The Wolves shot a better percentage from the field last night than Houston. Think about that. 46.4 to 43.5. And they were down by 30 going into the fourth quarter. They shot a better percentage from the field than the Rockets did. But this is where they just lose the math game. And there's been so much praise for Andrew Wiggins. And Derrick Rose actually was pretty darn good last night, especially offensively. But with Wiggins and Rose and even Jamal Crawford, who's more of just a volume two-point shooter, these guys, these are volume two-point scorers Mm -hmm. in a battle against three-point bombers. It's just... It's a math equation that the Wolves if, cannot win in a seven-game series. If Wiggins, Towns, and Butler are playing well, th- that's great. But here's a problem, too. When we get excited about Derrick Rose, that's an issue. When you when, when I start seeing tweets of, it looks like 2009 all over again. Derrick Rose is going great. Why didn't you play him more in the third quarter? That's an issue. Because that's not going to solve your long-term problems. That's not going to... You are not going to win a series if you are relying on Derrick Rose to get hot. I mean, in the third quarter... If you remember, game. If you remember this, so Derrick Rose was in the game. There was a, a chunk in the third quarter where he was in the game. This may, Maybe this was early fourth, whatever. Like This is when the game was getting out of hand. And so the Rockets are going down, and it's bing, 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 three-pointer in the corner. Or it's James Harden just pulling up or stepping back and knocking a three down in someone's face. Mm-hmm. And the Wolves... It's like the Wolves didn't quit in the third quarter. It wasn't that they quit. They just like they'd come back down the court oh, and got... then and then they'd get an 18-foot contested jumper by Derrick Rose. Yeah. Or Andrew Wiggins like spinning through a double team and getting no, they, you know a contested they, 15-footer they somewhere. They struggled. They didn't quit. But you're answering one of the great now not percentage-wise not one of the great three-point shooting teams, but one of the great three-point scoring teams in the history of the NBA. Mm-hmm. And you're coming down and you're pulling up from 18 feet to try and beat them. Like yeah. it's not it's not possible. Think about how incredible the rest of your team in every other area needs to be if you start the game spotting opposing teams like 15 or 20 points from three. All right, we're going to start the game now, and we know that we're going to have to make up 15 or 20 right. points in all these other areas. You have to be you have to be the best rebounding team. You have to be the best paint scoring team, the least turnovers, like the best offensive rebounding team. It's not going to work. And the Stars did a line in game three. Yes, they did, but it's not going to work. You are not going to win a, a series against the Warriors or Houston. And that's that's the thing is when you're playing basketball circa 1996 against 2018, you ain't going to win. You might win a game. You might win two games. That's going to be it. You are not going to consistently beat these teams doing that. They... They have to work too hard to get two points, and it's too simple for the team that's going to come down and successfully, in, in Houston's case, continue to launch threes. So it's not going to win games. You're not going to win series. Dude. But I will say this. Reggie Miller, I'm still thinking about him. You know, hey, if you just take quick, away the third quarter last night. Just quick. Last night is why I love sports, though. The first half was fantastic. That building was electric. The Wolves won the tip, and it went nuts. The first half was electric and so much fun. But if you like sports, and and I'm not just saying one team, but if you like sports, what Houston did in the third quarter was also fantastic. Okay, because that's a, here's that's, a, that's a hard angle to pitch to Wolves fans. I understand morning. that, but here's Listen, why. If you love sports, but the here's third why. quarter wait, wait, was amazing. Wait, 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 wait. But here's why. Here's why. Because that building was going nuts, and this team is so damn good that they came out and started to, to hit threes. 
and quieted the entire place. I understand That's if you're a Wolves consolation fan, for a I, Wolves fan today. I'm not, I'm not trying to help Wolves fans. You're but speaking I'm, to I'm, Wolves fans right now. I am right telling now. Wolves fans right now that Jesus, if you Judd. that if you like sports, last night is why sports is fantastic. I understand if you're a Wolves fan, you're not happy about it, but it was still when you see those two things, which is one half of a building just being electric, wolves down by one, and then you see a great team come out and do its thing, there is there should be an appreciation for it. There should want, be an appreciation level for it. Why wasn't this your take after the NFC Championship game? Listen, I know I'm speaking to Vikings fans right now, but if you really like sports, the Eagles were incredible in that first they, half. They were, though. God. That defense was great. I'm just... People think that I hate the local teams. It's not true. I don't. I loved the first half last night. I thought it was great. But the third quarter, when James Harden starts doing his thing, you have to have an appreciation for someone that good. You do. I mean, okay. Like, maybe you can digest that in a month if you're watching the NBA Finals. I'm trying to help people get to it right now. I'm trying to help people get to it right now. Yeah, you're a lot of help. I'm not bashing the Wolves. The Rockets were fantastic. No, we know what you're doing. You're, yes. You're trying to you're trying to offer an olive branch to Wolves fans here who just had their souls shattered last night. Ah, it's been Target 14 Center. years, first playoff appearance. I don't think they're shattered. Listen, hey, if you take away the third quarter, you know that Steve, that crocodile, the, the crocodile got, hunter guy? If you take away that one encounter I, with that one crocodile. I got, I got nothing He for had you a great though. run there. Stingray, I thought, killed him. Was it a stingray? I think it was if a If you just take away that, that, yeah. that one yeah. time, you know. Boom, right to the chest. I know my Steve Irwin stuff. Steve Irwin, that guy. Yeah. If you just take that away, that would be fine. It's a great TV show. Um, hey, Wolves vent line. Let's. We're gonna bring Kyler in here to hang out. We got a lot of NFL Vikings draft stuff to get to. Wild fallout after uh, yesterday's Chuck Fletcher dismissal. But um, we can open up the Wolves vent lines for a segment here. Six five one six four six eight two five five eight seven seven six one five fifteen hundred fifty points in one quarter. Nice job, Wolves. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Mackie and Judd are back. Audio level full volume. It's your time. On 1500 ESPN. Beard to the lane with a left hand. Back heel and it through. James Harden is unconscious in the third quarter. Give it out left corner. Hall for a C. P. And the Rockets have hit 90. Well, Wolves fans are just collars in here from Saturday Morning Sports Talk, Purple Podcast, 1590ESPN.com. Uh, while Wolves fans are just in misery this morning, here's Judd comes waltzing in the room. Well, that was great basketball. you got to appreciate it, fa- it in the third hey, quarter. Hey, when James yeah. Harden's making all those three, I have an appreciation for greatness, and that gentleman was greatness right there. And you think Royce's a troll. It's, no, I'm not trolling. But you are it, trolling. No, okay. It's if the this definition was, of wait, trolling. Wait, 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 wait. Just to clarify, if this was the Wolves' sixth consecutive playoff appearance like the, the Wild, and they had lost year after year after year, and Harden did that, I'd be like, that's really not good. But the Wolves are making their first playoff appearance in 14 years. You're in the playoffs. James Harden comes in and schools you. You're an eight seed. They're a one. So That's enjoy greatness. it when the Rockets put the pillow over your face and suffocate yes. you. Just enjoy it, Enjoy Matthew the greatness Collar. of it. <laughs> okay, I, I'll admit to having the same feeling sometimes. Like uh, when Drew Brees. Drew Brees is the great example that after the Minneapolis Miracle, I said to Judd, Really, Drew Brees deserved to win. <laughs> yeah. I, it kind of robbed he us. Actually from did. A, he actually did. He made a great comeback. Yeah, in the I was like, I kind of feel bad for Drew Brees. <laughs> we kind of were robbed of an all-time great performance there. I mean, this is all a great. A Brady Brees Super Bowl would have been yeah, awesome. Right, right. Yeah, like, for sure. Drew deserves this. <laughs> Give it back to him. 
That was amazing. Oh, I can't help myself, but here's my one thing, and I, I've said this on this show for a long time. There is something about me that when I go into a building that's rocking and a great opposing player comes in and shuts it up, I have I have an admiration for that that's off the charts. And and that and that includes if a player from this town goes into a game that that I'm at on the road. So it's not an anti Wolves or Wild or Vikings or Twins thing. I just think when the the ultimate show of greatness is when you have a player who can go into a building where he's getting booed and said and yelled Harden sucks. I just think Harden, and he and he comes down and starts drilling shots. Well, that's one thing. Like, wh- why did we choose as a fan base here to to wh- wh- why are we chanting Harden sucks? Like, what it did he it, like we the, the the players we choose to boo. And Twins fans do this all the time. Like A.J. Przinsky, who didn't demand a trade. A.J. Przinsky was the centerpiece for a trade that opened up a spot for Joe Maurer and brought back Francisco Liriano and Joe Nathan. Boo! Like, you should be giving that guy a standing ovation every time he came back. Uh, Jeter was a guy that Twins fans booed. mostly. So it's like Minnesota sports fans. It's like we pick out your best player on the best team in the league and just boo him because he's your best player. And then he uses it as motivation to help you score 50 points in the third quarter last night. That was a lot. 50 points was a lot. God. It, now it I, was NBA Jam in front of you. The only thing that was missing was the ball being lit on fire now, and I the could, play-by-play guy yelling boom shakalaka. I could get all in with the Judd uh, opinion if it weren't for feeling like the Wolves also gave them those 50 points in a lot of different ways. I mean, first of all, when you start out not scoring at all in the first five minutes of the quarter is like, okay, well, that's a great plan against the Rockets. I mean, when the offense looks completely inept for that first beginning of the second half, as if Houston was just going to keep not scoring like they were struggling to score in the first half. And then can someone go over a screen maybe? Oh, my God. Over, not under a screen with the best three-point shooting team in the league that that loves to throw up 40 well, a game, I think right? so. What happened? I, I don't know. I don't get that. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna pretend to be basketball X's and O's guy. I'm gonna lean on other people who are here. But uh-huh. um, PackMentality.com. Uh, Key is one of the best Wolves bloggers in town, and he used to do a lot more, but now he's he's more sporadic. But he posted something. We talked about this on the show a few weeks ago. It w- it was a heat map of the Timberwolves defensively and where they essentially guide opponents to on the uh, you know. So where do opposing teams you know build the most volume from? And then heat maps of the Celtics and the Spurs and what they do defensively. And it was unbelievable. The Wolves allow the, the, the two most, what's the word, like volume-heavy spaces on the court that the Wolves allow opponents to shoot from are corner threes, under the hoop, and then the third one is the other spaces behind the three-point line. <laughs> so it's like whatever their defensive strategy is, it protects those two-point areas and even certain areas in the lane but it gives open looks from three, and I couldn't stop thinking about watch, like looking at those heat maps last night. Like when given a chance to go over the top of a screen and maybe pushing the point guard or the shooting guard down underneath the three-point line and, and do something other than bomb a three, they chose, oh, we'll just go underneath and make you. It's like their strategy was, we dare you to hit this shot from 24 feet, and the Rockets are like, okay, <laughs> cool. <laughs> we'll I, keep taking it. Yeah, I saw the heat map from the quarter, and they were 0 for 3 from mid-range for two shot, two-point shots. 0 for 3. Yeah. And everything else was right under the basket. So, damn it, and, the Wolves did a great outside. job defending yeah. that two-point. What are you talking about? Man, yeah. They weren't giving up any of that. Now, under the basket, I mean, I assume this team's going to give up a lot underneath the basket because there are just better centers or centers who could dominate Carl Anthony Towns, 
So that's going to happen. And even he's not that tough to drive against. I, I felt Jim Pete getting a little upset last night when Carl, especially with two fouls, kept jumping and trying to block shots of smaller guys. He's like, if you just stand there, you're taller than them. He kind of went on a little mini rant about that. And so I don't expect Carl to be Rudy Gobert. But when you're talking about the number of threes that they were able to shoot right up behind a screen, it's like, okay, will somebody get out there at, yeah. at some point? And also, there's just a little bit of, in the first few games, they didn't hit threes like crazy. It's coming. Sometime, sure. yeah, at some point, the tidal right. wave is coming because I've watched this team all season. Houston, they were on national TV a lot. And they go crazy sometimes and just hit, what are they, at 9 to 13? Yeah. I mean, that it happens. And there isn't much you could do. And that's why they are the team that is number one and the favorite to go to the NBA Finals, and you're not. Yeah. 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 Harden was, what, 0 for 7. In fact, I, I was about to send Phil a text when, when uh, Harden got off to the bad start but last night. you were night. so enamored with the great basketball being played. No, it wasn't. It, it, no. <laughs> I was about to send you, you a text. Uh, to your LeBron point, which you have long held, which is he's the best player in the the league. And I thought, you know, Harden just doesn't look like, I mean, he looks okay, but not great. And then the third quarter started. I said, I'm glad I didn't send Le- that text. No, LeBron James is still the best player in the I NBA. I get that, like, but, what, but what the I'm saying. The fact that he's not the MVP I, every year is absurd. But, but what I'm saying is that, that Harden was over seven in the first and he didn't look great. And by the third, he was yeah. fantastic. An- another thing, too, that, uh, that I don't know. It, there are so many reasons why the Wolves, it's philosophically, the Wolves lost that game before they walked on the court because philosophically they're they're just going to lean on two-point shots and a lot of inefficient two-point shots, and the Rockets are going to play the math game and bomb threes. and like the, So the Wolves, there's only so many things the Wolves can do to make this a series, and they did all those things in Game 3, but doing all those things four different times is almost impossible. Andrew Wiggins and Derrick Rose have gotten so much praise in this series and it bothers me because I'll go back to the baseball analogy here. You're building a lineup, and you're trying to beat, and, and actually Matt tweets in a great comparison, those early 2000s Twins team, like the Piranhas Twins team, trying to beat a Yankees team with A-Rod and Sheffield and Giambi and like these Hall of Fame power hitters, and the Twins are going to get a single up the middle and a single to the right side. Oh, and there's a there's a little bloop single to the outfield. Oh, the bases are loaded. And like the Yankees come up, oh that's cute, walk walk three run bomb, yeah, back to back bombs. Like they just yeah. they just kind of wake up, you know, shake off the uh, the early morning uh, rust. The so, unfortunate part about that comparison is just that the Yankees went out and bought all the great players, and you could sort of just shrug your shoulders with this. It's like you can't exactly say, well, they've got all the number one pick. Oh wait, we've no. got a bunch of number one picks that haven't really done what we needed them to do. And even Carl last night. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for dropping in some points in the fourth, fourth quarter. quarter. Yeah. yeah, Very Looks much nice, appreciated. Yeah. Well, 25, 13. He melted down there. again, too. I which mean, he's got to grow up this somewhat. Is, this is a big part of it. it I for mean, sure. with, with the Tibbs conversation and all those things, and I, and I think a lot of the criticisms from that third quarter last night is fair. Maybe asking why Derrick Rose wasn't out there more often is not a great criticism from that reporter. But, I mean, with... When you're a coach, though, of any sport, anywhere, hockey, this happens all the time. Coaches, if your superstar players don't show up in the playoffs, you get fired. It's like that simple. And with the NBA, if even if LeBron underachieves for a time, you get fired as the coach. And when your top player 
is not doing anywhere near what he should be doing at this level. It's like uh, who coaches New Orleans? Does anybody have any clue? Does it matter? I mean, Anthony Davis has just taken over that series and beat Portland himself. Like, did the coach do something special or did Anthony Davis do something special? And I need Carl Anthony Towns to do something special to keep you in this series. And he hasn't, it's well, not, not close he to hasn't that, no. even been average for Carl Anthony Towns. He hasn't even been close. And yeah. he's not facing Agreed. Akeem Olajuwon. He, de- he deserves a ton of credit, or a, a ton of, uh, he deserves a criticism for the way he hasn't showed up in the series. But I almost think like he could go classic Carl Anthony Towns and the Wolves are still down three games to one in the series. If he goes classic Carl Anthony Towns last night, they still are trailing by 20 points going into the fourth quarter. And by the way, the Rockets then throttle down even more in the fourth quarter. Like the Rockets knew the game was over after the third, mm-hmm. and that's why the Wolves came back, and that's why Towns stuffed his stat sheet at the end of the game. And that's well, why game three felt good, but you, you said, all right, that's one game, but they're going to come back. The philosophies of the two teams are too different. They're too different, and Houston's is going to win. And... As I've said before, if you transported this Wolves team to 1996, guess what? They're pretty damn good, and it might work, but it's not going to work here, and it's not going to. And if it does work against, let's say, five teams, there's five teams that's absolutely going to fail against, and the best teams in your conference start off with a philosophy that's consistently going to beat you because they're going to make threes, and you're going to work your butt off just to get twos. Here's another thing, too, and this this applies more to Wiggins than Towns because Towns was much more consistent throughout the regular season and then disappeared in the playoffs. Um, You know, Wiggins... For all the praise about Game 3, Wiggins was a no-show for the most part in Game 4. Another classic, like, 4 for 13 from the field and was just sort of missing in action with everyone else defensively in the second half. But what makes a great player isn't that you're able to go for 20 points and 10 rebounds and 5 assists or 25 and 5 on on a night. What makes a great player is that you're able to do that every night against top competition, too. I mean, that's... We don't. No one doubts that Towns can go for twenty-five and fifteen and you know bomb some threes. No one doubts that Wiggins can do what he did in Game Three, which is twenty points, five rebounds, five assists, mm-hmm. and lockdown defense. Can you do it every night or ninety percent of nights? You're going to have some off nights. I mean, James Harden had a couple off nights. He's going to be the MVP at a couple off nights in the series, and that's what bothers me. It's like fans who point out, well. Look at Derrick Rose. Look, he, you got to quit ripping Derrick Rose. He had a good game. Yeah, but like the biggest indictment. And Derrick Rose is Derrick Rose like, that's can't. such a different conversation. But like the biggest indictment is if you have to single out the good game. That if you feel the need to say, well, hey, he had a good yeah, game, give him praise. Like, well, wait a second. This, this goes, the expectation is to always play that way. This goes back to why game three is the game that you have to shop. You've got to, you've got to shop at Andrew based on oh, game sure, three and yeah. say he's capable of this if you because there's going to be teams that always say, Oh, you know what? I'm gonna get that consistently. And they won't, but that's fine. But the but that game in a nutshell is why teams why you're going to have some teams say if we got them we can fix them and I think they're absolutely wrong I think the inconsistency is going to be, be there for a long long time I don't think you can say he's 23 and that will change I think what you need to say is this is embedded in his personality and it's not going to change I love these people like like Johnny tweets into the show any chance you can find a way to blame Wiggins I knew it it's like okay. This is a basketball team. It's an eight-man rotation, maybe a nine-man rotation once in a while, but Tyus Jones was out last night. And we're talking about two or three of the key highest-paid players and or high draft picks in a series in which it's big boy basketball against the Houston Rockets. Like, go go watch the game again. If you can't lean on two or three of your best players in an eight- or nine-man rotation, if those guys disappear, 
Are you saying that they don't deserve to be criticized? Like, what universe are you watching sports in? I'm sorry. What What frustrated me last night was that Derrick Rose is the only guy on the floor with a superstar mentality. And the guy hasn't been a superstar in, like, 10 years. Yeah, Jim, <laughs> I, mean, I put but, Jimmy Butler in that category, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, Jim, I mean, Jimmy always plays hard, though. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to have any game where you're not saying that he plays hard. Some nights he'll shoot better than others, but he always wants the basketball. He's always going to play defense on the best guy. There's that. But I don't think you can ever win with just that one guy in the NBA now with these stacked teams. But other than him, though, I mean, Derrick Rose is taking the basketball and just driving to the hoop and taking shots and looking like he believes that he can actually score against this team. Yes. No, that's not the guy that I want doing this, but he did okay at it. But it's like, hey, is anybody watching this? These guys who used to play for the Bulls and be good under Thibodeau are, are doing this, are, are taking the ball and trying to score and making this effort where Wiggins and, and Towns are slinking away again. For sure. Yep. And, there and, was, did you see the, 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 the moment in the first quarter? And they spent like three minutes breaking this down at halftime, Chuck and, and Shaq did, where Towns gets the ball in the low post on the right side as you're watching on TV. And and it's it's back to the basket. I forget who was guarding him. If it was was it Nene? I, I can't remember who was guarding him. But it's like you could see the gears grinding in his head. First, so he gets the ball and he like dribbles as if he's gonna go, kind of spin move to the right, kind of. And then and then you could see him thinking, oh, I'm gonna I'm just gonna fade out and fade away from the contact. But then he, it's almost like he heard Shaq and Barkley in his head. No no no, don't fade away from contact. Lean into contact and you know go toward the rim, and it wound up like he jumped off his wrong foot, still got oh, the layup, yeah. but it was yeah. super clunky. It's like, dude, why are you like? Why is your first instinct to fade away when you're seven feet tall and that skilled, and most of the guys guarding you? If you just literally like pretend like they're not there, you're probably going to get a clear shot at the rim. It really does seem like when he goes to the rim hard, it's unstoppable. For the rest of the series, though, I think I would have Wiggins and Towns just both go stand in each corner and have everyone else drive and try to kick to them for threes because having them be aggressive just doesn't seem to work. Wiggins can be aggressive for one game out of five, and Towns, they've just completely shut him down trying to be aggressive. So in game one, we got frustrated with Towns going to the corner, but now I kind of want him there. Just to shoot from there? If you're not going to do it, then how about just stand over there and I'll throw you the ball every once in a while and try to can a three and everyone else can go to the hoop. Towns' starting point, though, has to be to to grow up somewhat because his frustration... It's like, like when it's he not clearly help commits you an offensive foul he, and then gets mad he, at the referee. He took his mouth guard and chucked it in, into the stands. It's like, dude, just calm down, all right? Yeah. It's, you play a lot of games, just calm down. Hey, at least we had some positive things happen on the base. Wait a second. Wait, no. Swung on and drilled the deep left. It is high. It is far. It is gone. On the first pitch. A line drive home run inside the pole in left field. And Duhar hits it far. And he's getting Miggy with it. <laughs> Swung on and drilled to deep right. It is high. It is far. It is gone. It's a grand slam. Yes, indeedy. Diddy Gregorius makes Yankee fans absolutely euphorious. <laughs> He's mailing the those in. Oh, That's how man. little he thinks Wait. of home runs against the Twins. I mean, getting Mickey with it, that is just like... Mailing it in. 2018, you, 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 Where's the enthusiasm from John Sterling? 
You thought those calls lacked enthusiasm? Yes. I thought they lacked pitching is what they lacked. Actually. <laughs> well, they lacked that, too. Collar's hanging out with us, Mackie and Judd. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Both of them sketchy and sometimes slow. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. I want to mock. Mock! I want to mock. Mock! All right. We got Matthew Collar in the house from the Purple Podcast, 1500ESPN.com, where you can find all of his pre-draft coverage and we're going to be wall-to-wall on multiple platforms Thursday night for the first round of the draft. Web coverage, we're going to have Facebook Live rocking sort of a Mystery Science Theater 3000 tour uh, through the draft. And uh, and radio coverage, ESPN, coupled with our local uh, chime-ins on Thursday night. And I present to you, gentlemen, the King Mock. King Mock? Whoa, what? Peter King's first oh, round okay. mock. I thought that was some sort of snake. I mean, depending on what you think of Peter King, I wow. guess. Wow, Phil. I'm, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. Uh-uh, I, like I don't Peter want King. word to get around. I like Peter King. All right, here's how Peter King sees the first round. We'll just we'll just grab the highlights and the Vikings pick. Mark. Right. Number one to Cleveland, Sam Darnold, quarterback USC. Number two to the Giants, Saquon Barkley, running back Penn State. Jets going with Josh Rosen, number three. Bradley Chubb to Cleveland at four. Baker Mayfield to Arizona at five. Uh, let's see here. Josh Allen, six to Buffalo. Any other quarterbacks? Peter King is very quarterback heavy early in the draft. Uh, we get down to uh, Lamar Jackson, number 21 to Cincinnati. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. And then number 30 to the Minnesota Vikings, according to the King Mock, SI.com. Meat and potatoes, baby. Offensive guard from UTEP, Will mm. Hernandez. I want to mock. Mock. I want to mock. Mock. Matthew Collar is very happy right now. Will Hernandez is a guy that has been on the radar really since the combine because his tape is fantastic and he's this big mound of a person. Like he's a bowling ball. He's six foot three, but he's 345. And the whole thing was, let's see how he performs at the Combine, because if it all meets the specs, this guy should be a a top prospect at the position. And then he ran a well above average 40 at 345 pounds. And when you watch this guy, he's playing for UTEP, so he's not routinely playing the top teams, although he does have a game against Oklahoma that I watch. But when he's playing the lower-level competition, he's murdering guys. And then when he's playing the better teams, he's standing up just as well as any of the other top prospects. So I really like him at number 30. It seems pretty likely that there's going to be either a guard or a tackle. And it seems like there's a surplus of guards. Maybe that second level of tackles. Once Listen to me breaking this down right now. Once you get past like the Mike McGlinchey level. Uh, and then cornerbacks. I mean, there's the who's the 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 Central Florida kid, the Mike Hughes. Hughes that could be in the yeah. late first round area. There's Mike Hughes. Josh Jackson is another guy from Iowa that made a ton of plays on the ball. And uh, there's also Jair Alexander who might go a little bit before the Vikings are on the board there, but he's from Louisville would be a great fit. Uh, Dante Jackson is another guy that played a lot of slot and could fill in as that nickel corner right away, and also ran one of the fastest forties. And when you combine that with he did great things on tape, then you love that, too. It's not just, oh, he's really fast. Uh, But Dante Jackson played at a very high level. He might be there in the second round, too. That's where it gets really interesting for this draft is 
Will the Vikings roll the dice on that right guard position? Because you could get somebody who's really good in the first, but some of those guys might still be available in the second round. So maybe if you're talking about, yeah, we love Will Hernandez. Who would stop? So who would stop them if, if give me a couple names of guys who, who they, they would not trade the pick and they would make the pick immediately versus, okay, that guy's gone. And so we're, we're going to gamble a little bit, go backwards, and still think that that we can get a guard, for instance, in the second round. Yeah, I think that they would absolutely stay at 30 and take Isaiah Wynn, who comes from Georgia. And if you watch his national championship game, that's exactly what you want to see from an offensive lineman. I mean, biggest game, best defense in Alabama, and this guy just dominates the whole game. He's fantastic. Also a technician, which I, I think when you read that and you see that on tape, not somebody who's raw. That, that Usually that projects to a guy at least being an average player as opposed to the boomer bust type guy. So I like Win. I think Connor Williams, too, has a potential to be a tackle, though a lot of people are saying he's a guard. He's from Texas. He's another guy that I think they wouldn't move for. And if it's somehow, Quentin Nelson won't drop, but if it was him or McGlinchey from Notre Dame, it would be obvious, okay, we've got to get him. Almost anybody else, though, you might be able to go back. I mean, there are so many of these good players that are kind of on the same level. It would be the difference between, okay, this guy, if you were ranking them 1 one to 10 on a scale or something, we've got an 8 versus an 8.2. Like, Do you think they would prefer to draft a tackle over a guard so that they could move Remmers to right guard? Because if you took Will Hernandez, correct me if I'm wrong, it would mean that Mike Remmers is your right tackle, right? I mean, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And that's the thing is that Hernandez is a guard, and he's nothing else. He He's not big enough, not tall enough to play the tackle position, plus he played guard in uh, college. There are some of these guys that are being talked about, like Isaiah Wynn and Connor Williams, as potential guards, but sometimes those guys still end up working out a tackle even if they don't fit the exact height and weight requirements because they are technically good and they're smart players and things like that, so they learn to make up for some of those differences uh, I think every team would prefer to take a tackle over a guard, and they really like how Remmers played a guard, especially in Week 17. That just might not. That was be, right guard, though, correct? It was right guard. Not it was left much, guard. Much better at right guard. Much okay. better at right guard. I was not happy with the decision to have him at left guard because that's like trying to right left-handed, if that makes sense. For I mean, you do everything on the right side, and then when you're trying to change that around, you have to completely alter your technique. And he didn't play as well. Um, but I think they do like him better as a guard, especially because he can plow people in the run game, and that's more important in there, and then be above average pass blocking for a guard. And so they would love if they could fill somebody in at that guard position. The problem is, or at that tackle position, but but who are you going to do? Who are you going to get at that point? Like, who is going to be able to do that right away where you could step in at a tackle position in a league where you have to go and face a team like Philadelphia with a bunch of edge rushers off both sides? This isn't the old days where a team has one good edge rusher and that's it. I mean, teams are rushing right and left, and I think that the value is near equal for those guys now, and that's a very hard position to step into. I have a prediction. I should just go on the record with this for an early write that down. If the Vikings go offense, so offensive linemen with their first pick, 
in order to make peace with Mike Zimmer for spending $90 million on a quarterback and the first pick on an offensive player, they will draft three at minimum <laughs> defensive players consecutively mm-hmm. after the first round. So Write I, it down. I did a draft simulation, and I could definitely see that scenario or even a cornerback in the first round because they'd be thinking long-term whether Trey Wayans is going to be around, and right now they only have three on the roster and haven't signed anybody, and I don't know Terrence Newman's status. But the, there is risk, though. If you don't draft a guard or tackle in the first round, what happened in my most recent draft simulation is there was a run on offensive linemen in the second round, mm-hmm. and I missed everybody. And I got down to Brian O'Neill, who's a tackle from Pittsburgh, who's really interesting because he is one of the best athletes in the draft, and he'd be great in their zone running scheme, and maybe he could be a guard if it doesn't work out a tackle. And that tells you just how good this offensive line draft is. But still... You miss out on a bunch of the top prospects, and that is possible. So I'm curious how they, they bail, weigh but that. But if they bail back, they'd bail back in, into the second round before their own second round well, pick, well, I believe. That's if they were to trade back. Yeah. Yes. If they just drafted a corner at number thirty, oh, or, and then yeah, or a tight. I took tight end Dallas uh, Goddard at thirty. Do that. Yeah. But then what? What we might see, and this just opens up to many different scenarios, is the same thing they did last year when there was a run on offensive linemen. They just traded up and got Pat Elfline. So we could even see that in the second day where they take a luxury pick, a tight end, a corner, a defensive tackle, and then trade up to try and get one of those offensive linemen if they feel like they're not going to be there. I feel like, and this might just be, I don't know, but I, if if it's between cornerback and whether it's late first round or you trade into the early portion of the second round, I would lean toward offensive linemen. Just take the most skilled or, or best projectable offensive linemen because... I would trust Mike Zimmer to mold a second or third round caliber cornerback into what he wants more than I would trust the Vikings to mold a third round offensive lineman into a starter right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, and that was my approach too on the draft simulation was taking a corner a little bit farther down the board because of that. Um, At the same time, though, Mike Zimmer understands that the corner is one of the most valuable positions on the field now. That the, the more guys you have that can rotate in or play different roles, the better you are at shutting down opposing passing games. That's where the Vikings have made their hay over the last three years as a defense is shutting down passing games. If you could do that, you can win. Yeah. Matthew Collar's hanging out with us here from Saturday Sports Talk and also the Purple Podcast. We will mix in some what should the Wild do going forward conversation here. Also, Jason Stark will hang out with us uh, over the phone at 1130 for his weekly appearance. Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studio. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Here we go! On 1500 ESPN. We all know casual Friday isn't enough, so sign your business up for the 28th annual Dress for LLS and enjoy casual Thursdays coming up in May. Businesses across the state next month will come together to join LLS in the fight against blood cancers for a minimum donation of just $5. Participants earn the right to dress casual or in a company theme Thursdays in May. The top company will receive a bowling party at Park Tavern. For more info or to register, visit 1500ESPN.com, keyword events. Thank you, Dave Harrigan. Let me ask you guys this here. Collar's hanging out with us. Rich Eisen went on a rant on his show the other day about reporters like Sports Illustrated. I can't remember which ones he was calling out. Some networks have actually prevented their NFL insiders from tipping picks on Mm -hmm. social media before the TV broadcast catches up. How do you guys feel about that? I mean, I I think 
mo- the most majority of the people who watch the draft are just watching on TV and not following on Twitter. So it's probably like a five or ten percent population that we're talking about that would see a pick being tipped on their social media feed as they're watching. And if you want to fix that problem, to me, you can just like not follow on Twitter. Uh, are you guys annoyed that the TV production gets ruined a little bit by overzealous reporters trying to tip the picks 30 seconds early? I mean, I look at it as and maybe uh, newspaper people around the country would uh, wince at me saying this as a reporter, but we're not covering the White House here. No, I mean, it's entertainment. It, if someone came to me 48 seconds before the Vikings were picking and said, they're taking Will Hernandez, I'd be like, okay. Cool. Well, uh, right, right. Oh, but you cool. wouldn't be offended. I, you just I, wouldn't care, right? I wouldn't run to my Twitter and throw it out there. I've got to be the first with the yeah, pick. Like, what yeah. does this do for me? It this feels like you're trying. It, 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 it does. It feels like you're trying to flex a muscle just to show people. Like, that's Schefter right. I got inside that? information. I think Schefter started this, and and ESPN got in trouble with, with the league, and so they came back and said we won't do it. I just don't care, but. It's fine to not do it too. It's not. It's like it's just not that big a deal. But if you have an yeah. if you have an inside scoop during free agency that then you should Kirk Cousins is going to sign with Absolutely. the Vikings. Okay, that's huge news. Right. And the Vikings might actually wait three days before they announce it themselves. So you because they have to do a physical, so you should announce it. Yes. But if we're going to find out in thirty seconds who the Browns are picking <laughs> like number four overall, yeah. I, I could see if you have the number one pick nailed. Okay, cool. But if it's like, oh, the Browns are on the clock, and in two minutes they're going to pick this guy, what do you? Okay, you're you're just showing off that you yeah. have an inside source, I and, guess. And, and I yeah. and, and I do agree with you that that we've sort of created this atmosphere that people think real reporting is just like, can I get something out there with the word source next to it? <laughs> and I don't look at that at all. I mean, I I look at it like real reporting is telling people something they didn't know or discovering something or telling someone's story. So when they select the guy, you know, last year I took Delvin Cook and interviewed a bunch of people and made a discovery about Delvin Cook that I don't think people knew, that he was actually a really bright mind. And considering how he'd been painted through the process... Um, you know, you didn't think that. Right, so, but you got scooped on when they were going to pick yeah, him. Yeah, right, so. right. So that's the thing. So I sit here from my <laughs> perspective and I go, well, that's that's sort of the reporting that I think most people care about, most fans care about, that their local reporters especially, but even national reporters tell them something that they don't know already about their team, their player, that moves them in some way. Having it 40 seconds before it happens, just I don't think anyone cares about that and I don't think anyone's really impressed by that. Well, and, and if a scoop benefits uh the the consumer that's great but if it's a draft like phil said they're gonna find out immediately so it doesn't really so if i'm sitting there watching the draft and and i find out 10 seconds before the pick that that the vikings are taking this guy does it help me that much no i don't really care um it just makes you feel like mr i would say this i would say this sitting in front of twitter and trying to watch the draft and, and be surprised by the picks is probably tempting fate because there's going to be Woj makes a whole career, right? The the NBA draft is nothing but Memphis is taking this guy right now. And so if if you really well, want Woj's career goes way beyond who Memphis is gonna draft. No, right, no, no. But I'm saying during the draft, Woj prides himself on on getting picks first, which is fine. My point being is if you truly want to sit down and consume the draft and enjoy it and be surprised, 
calling up Twitter probably takes a pretty good chance there of of you not being surprised by who a team takes. And, and I'm not but criticizing pe- I don't care people much. who are scoops people. I mean, like Adam Schefter has built a great career, and he's always got a lot of this stuff, and Ian Rappaport and all those guys. Those guys are fine. I don't really I have much beef with them. When they put something out, I assume it's like a press release that that's fact. Yeah. And to build that much of a of a belief in what you report that it's basically fact is something really cool for a reporter to have. I'm only talking about the draft thing that I just feel like people hate it when they see someone ruin the draft. They want to be on social media because they want to be complaining about the pick or arguing with their friends or giving their own thoughts on it. So if you want to be on social media, but you can't because it's getting ruined by someone who tweets it two minutes before it happens. That's annoying as hell. So I could see where everyone would just, we could, we all just agree that no one needs that or cares. Could we all just say like, don't do that. Cause no one cares. Yeah. No one likes you for doing this. For and sure. We want to be liked. You're only, I think it's the difference, the, the way you set up like the, what is real, true, valuable reporting? And I agree with you. I think it's un- uncut. There's two layers to it. Scooping something that's important is one layer, which draft picks are not important. Like, you know who the there's a clock that's counting down. Like, you're just you're literally scooping something five minutes before it's going to be told to the, to the world anyways. So if you're the guy who's trying to make a name off of reporting something that's going to come out in two minutes anyways, it's very self-serving to me. But if you're uncovering information about a player or a situation that the public wouldn't otherwise know if yeah. you didn't uncover it, that's valuable. Let's come back and talk some wild here. Matthew Collar's hanging out with us. What now going forward, if you're the new GM and you're going to step in here, whenever that may be, what's on your checklist? What's on your to-do list? Mackie and Judd from the TCL Broadcast Studios.